Welcome, ladies and gents, to the Grim and Bloody Podcast. This show is a presentation of horror, thriller, and suspense, and is intended for mature audience. Join us at your own risk. Thank you for joining the Grim and Bloody podcast. Good to have you here with us on this Thursday evening. Uh, today we have a retrospective for you. It is 1973, The Legend of Hell House, supernatural horror film directed by John Hughes, starring Pamela Franklin, Roddy McDowell, Clyde Revel, and Gail Honeycutt, with a script from Richard Matheson, the one and only, uh, based on a story of his own. And uh, joining me as always, Kevin Nicholson, Writer from Horrors Newsnet. How you doing, Kevin? I'm doing great. Ready to talk about a classic film. Hell yeah. Al Omega, host, feature feature show. Yes. Since we're podcast, I'm assuming you're just buck book ass naked. Just <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's just all hanging out there. Okay. But mostly just... it's my soul, because this is such a great movie, I can't disrespect it. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Flynn. One and only. <laughs> Yes, I am the one, the only. Oh, well, I'm dead. <laughs> if, there's another Joe, if there's another Joe Flynn out there, God help us all. Jesus Christ, <laughs> two Joe Flynns. Straight Highlander up here. Yes, I. <laughs> there can be only one. Only one. And it ain't me. <laughs> well, since I'm in the kid room, I'll go ahead and let you know. Um, the Legend of Hell House, um, for me, it was an excellent watch. Um, Maybe because it's from the 70s, there's little things I noticed that only come from the 70s as far as uh, movies go, these little musical cues, because everybody was dancing and grooving, especially even in horror movies. They want you dancing and grooving, they want you shaking your thing, even between uh, scenes. And I noticed that, a little nice little uh, contemporary thing from the 70s. I don't know if you guys uh, noticed that, but in the 70s, they had these little uh, musical cues, do, 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 right in, in between the scenes. So in between the horror, you got a little, you know, interplay going on i like that well i was noticing the music something i had not paid attention to before was that we have the opening scene we're going to the house and it's a gray and misty morning and you expect the music to be something slow something somber and while the action is slow and somber the music is actually quick it's like urging you hurry up come on let's go um i like that i'm grooving in my bed i'm like here we go yeah the legend hell yeah, house all right coordinated action to it there because while our characters of course really want to go to the house and see the ghost and whatnot um again you would expect the music to be something slow slow and somber and this was very interesting that they chose to do something very different with it uh you know one of the things i noticed watching it now um after so many years is that there were some visual cues 
that felt a lot more like uh, Andromeda Strain. Or to, uh, and I noticed one of the guys worked on 2001. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if there was some crossover there somehow. I don't know why, but the opening scene just hooked the shit out of me uh, between uh, Clive, uh, Dr. Lionel, and uh, I'm, I didn't really catch because it happened so quick, but his, uh, it was his employer uh, or someone he knew that Mr. was offering. Deutsch. Yeah, he was Mr. offering him a job, and that, those first few minutes really, really got me. And um, Kevin, I'll let you explain, but from then on in, I was really interested in Dr. Lionel's uh, story if he was going to. Um, uh, prove that uh, there is life after death and um, uh, it almost felt like when he says oh, you're going to stay in the house for a week and afterwards you tell me what you want and then it, um, you start hearing we're not going to last we shouldn't go in there it started thinking of a short story um, that I read as a kid in scary stories to tell in the dark of a man and his dog who went into this house um, as a dare and um, they obviously didn't come out of like god oh, I, I love stories like that where it's like a dare like I thought that house was condemned. No, it's been bought. <laughs> Go in there and figure out what happened. I love stories like that. It's for me that's a gateway to something that's going to be very interesting. Well, you guys, a, uh, go ahead. Uh, no, uh, you guys are talking about uh, the music to it, and I really—it's an electronic score that um, that they really? uh, um, that they used for uh, uh, you know for this uh, this film. Um, Delia Derbyshire and uh, Brian Hodgson uh, were um, the musicians behind it, and I think it kind of adds because exactly what you were saying, Al. You expect um, something slow, haunting, something that is uh, kind of a billowing, you know, soft mood piece to uh underscore the dread um that is uh you know that is going on and this isn't that this is something that's actually just kind of harsh uh in a way it kind of drew me in anyway uh you know to uh, to what's going on it kind of tells me that what's going on behind these walls what's going to happen to this group is something uh you know is something earth-shaking something strong is going to happen uh you know going to happen to them so that that to me was kind of uh uh the uh a pull to the uh, you know to the film and anthony would you know, kind of what i got out of the whole experience on on this um uh, on this film as you say the whole you're being trapped there for a week uh, uh essentially and, and I, I kind of looked at it. Um, one of the things that drew me into the film was the. Um, uh, <laughs> you have a balance amongst the group that's going in there of disbelievers uh, as to uh, you know what's happening. People are looking to go in and prove a fraud, and uh, that's what um, I think makes these kind of films. Uh, the good ones anyway have to work because you have to have some balance of the believer and some balance of the non-believer you know for it to work and so uh, the Clive Revels uh, the team lead uh, you know character is this non-believer who you know who thinks that there's a scientific explanation for uh, you know for everything that's going on 
And then when he gets into that house for the week, he realizes by the end that he has, he has no fucking clue. I mean, he has, you know, what, you know, what forces there are. And um, I think that's what, you know, that's what that is. That you're, you know, you have these guys who are non-believers who are now kind of spending a week in hell. Uh, and have their, uh, you know, their, uh, their their senses assaulted. And then you have the believer, the guy who survived a, previ- a previous experience of trying to uh, uh, exercise the demons from uh, Belasco House and Roddy McDowell's character. He's trying to convince other people that, you know, not spending another week is not a good idea. For Yeah. <laughs> and... They kind of look at him as like you're a crank, like, you know. You're kind of you're kind of mad uh, at first, and they, um, you know, boy, you know, I don't I don't know why. One thing I always wondered about in this film is why he goes back if something if a house is tra- and the spirits within the tra- well, he got offered a lot of money. I think a hundred well, thousand pounds, right? I'm just wondering if that was the real uh, the real reason. I'm wondering if there's some intangible there that he felt an obsessive need to go, uh, you know, to go he, back. He also mentioned that he would be he would be a failure if yeah. he left. Yeah. So there could have been um, that kind of uh, uh, pride in I'm not going to run away twice. I'm going to I'm going to stare right. this down. But yeah, even when he got in there, he was yeah. Go down and you go. This is, for me, this film has it all. The acting, the cinematography, the music. And Pamela Franklin. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> and of uh, course. I always liked her. <laughs> yes. Oh and yeah. This is like my uh, favorite quote from the film. At least one of them. And it's from the kind of the very beginning of the film once they arrive at the house. Uh, Gail Honeycutt's character, Ann Barrett, goes, what, what did he do to make this house so evil, Mr. Fisher, played by Roddy McDowell? Drug addiction, alcohol, alcoholism, sadism, bestiality, mutilation, murder, vampirism, necrophilia, nice, uh, yeah, not to mention a gamut of sexual goodies. Shall I go on? And then she goes, how did it end? And he, he goes, if it had ended, we wouldn't be here. That is the quote. That's one of my favorites. Actually, one one of mine is the, uh, is the sequence towards the end. It's a very simple uh, kind of uh, you know, quote with Clive Revels character looking at his machinery going crazy and he and he goes this is not possible this is not possible and it's simple and the the fear in his eyes it you know really tells the story that's one of the most incredible uh you know sequences for me and it sold it uh for me that and my favorite scene of course is the banquet table uh, you know, sequence where the banquet table starts to jump, and then 
it seems like Revel's character is the key point of the assault in this scene, where everything is uh, there's a uh, there's a meat platter that is uh, that is slid across the table. If he doesn't duck, it impales him. Uh, then the chandelier comes, uh, you know, comes down, and or his chair gets pushed back onto the ground. The chandelier comes down, and you think uh, you're thinking somebody really, the entity really doesn't like him. And uh, maybe it's because he's a non-believer. Maybe it's he's a skeptic, and they just really don't like him. But that scene just uh, gets me each time. And of course, you know, the whole characters, there's only four of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Roddy McDowell's character, Fisher, Clive LeVert's character, Lionel, mm-hmm. his wife, played by Gail Honeycutt. And, the beautiful Gail Honeycutt. That's true. And of course, Pamela Franklin, who's our uh, medium, who, sure. you know, believes. Really yeah she basically is there and she believes that there's spirits in the place and of course who can forget the nice little black cat that's always hanging around now does everybody now here's a quick trivia question for you guys you guys recognize the uh, the actor who played the uh, the corpse in I do uh, and for Anthony, I will say um, that the actor who played the corpse, the corpse, in the uh, uh, in the one sequence in the film, was um, the uh, the same actor who plays who played Alfred the Butler. Oh yes, in the Tim Burton Batman films, the corpse, Michael Goff. Yeah. Really? Yep. yep. I mean, how can he? He was barely recognizable as a corpse. It was just, wow. As the corpse well, of Emmerich Velasco. Because of that. What's that? Oh, there's two. There's only two. I was thinking of the corpse that was in the dungeon. No. No. It's the corpse of Mr. Belasco. Oh, okay. Mr. Belasco. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. That's Alfred oh, yeah. the Butler. You see, yeah. I have to put in this this newer reference because you young kids, you know, just don't, yeah, you know, wouldn't understand 80s. it. <laughs> No, but yeah, and of course the the corpse in the uh, church that they found yeah. or basement, yeah, was supposedly Daniel Belasco, right? Who they claimed was the son of Emmerich Velasco, but but Pearl Pam Franklin just got, you know, seduced by some kind of entity, something and, ectoplasmic. Uh, yes. Yeah. Well, by Mr. Belasco. That's right. <laughs> uh, you know, I, th- I think at, uh, very early on when, when she first makes contact with the son of Belasco uh, in this, I, I think she starts to realize that something is afoot, that uh, uh, that maybe there, there aren't several, maybe some of these ghosts are pretending to be people they aren't, and they aren't. So they are pretending they aren't. <laughs> so... Um, I remember watching this movie as a young man. That whole shower scene thing there with with her was uh, a little confusing and, and vaguely traumatic. Yes, that was pretty so, scary. I, I admit. Yeah, I've seen that in the seventies. That was a pretty effective uh, shadow. I love things that little things like that. Um, I say little, but it was a, it was a meaningful scene. Um, 
those do it like the the you're seeing something but you're not seeing it you're seeing a, a reflection you're seeing a, a glimmer a glimpse and uh that kind of just it starts igniting the imagination because now you're trying to fill in the rest you're, you're thinking you know rapid fire what is that it's moving it's moving inhumanly right it's it's kind of jittery and off to the side the head doesn't look quite right and uh, when she opens the shower and it's this this freaky looking cat that's good stuff that reminds me of the shining when you open it up and you see the uh the shoveled you know the, uh, the grotesque old woman opening the shower you know that that whole that hotel the hotel is empty it's been empty you're the only ones in there someone should not be opening up that shower curtain so those moments like that uh those can get me <laughs> but don't you just like i mean it's one of those things i, I remember uh directors like james whale uh back in the old days of universal like to do this where their world of horror everything is a little bit off kilter everything is just a little bit uh whether it's from the lighting and the angles the world that they uh, they show, and I think this is what John Huff was doing uh, with this film. Everything is a little bit, you know, off uh, off kilter. And I'll tell you that one of the successes of this uh, of this film, one of the things that I that makes this film great for me is the uh, uh, is the uh, the set design is the is the whole. Uh, makeup of the of the film from the lighting to uh you know to the camera work to the uh the house itself uh which is wykehurst uh, uh park house in sussex and uh that when you see that first exterior shot of the house as a matter of fact that looks freaking creepy that is just freaking would you want to walk into that house yes really sure no, really. i don't all go <laughs> Actually, I, I worked on a, a movie, House of Temptation, uh -huh. which is not unsimilar, and is shot in the Cohen Bray House in Oakland, in Oakland or Fruitvale, somewhere up there, um, which is like a 150-year-old house of four stories or something like that. Uh, fabulous, fabulous place to see, and you can go tour it. And uh, I, I keep looking at that house, and I'm like, gee, I would love to live there. It's just an awesome place, but right. you know they creak like you wouldn't believe, and it's not nearly as big as the the mansion we use in the in this movie here. Huh. But very you know, true. Yeah, <laughs> but you know it's me. Of course, I would like to live in a house like that. <laughs> and yes, and and here's some fun trivia too, guys. Yeah. Uh, since we're talking about craziness, like originally, Richard Matherson wanted both Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor to star in this film. Well, that would be interesting. Certainly very capable actors. And then, of course, there's one more. The old book that Anne was reading, or, you know, basically it brings up the whole fact that the, you know, filmmakers, since most of the novel is about passion, sex, and desire, making it fit well with the highly sexuality and the erotic nature of much of the film. It also foreshadows her later scenes, hint at her sexual, uh, repossessed sexuality, re you know, repressed sexuality. 
yeah, she and her husband aren't getting it on. So, hey, right. why not throw it in? Yes, let's throw it at Ben. Yes. But yes, not the rat Ben, but Ben <laughs> Fisher. Now the cat, we see, you know, we have a cat, and then we, we see the cat actually early on in the movie, and then we see the cat in the shower being dead. I'm assuming it's supposed to be dead. And then later on, the cat we see outside is supposed to be the same cat, although I don't know how the hell you're supposed to be able to tell that. See, I, I don't like it when they cheat like that. So you gents are obviously experts on this movie. I just finished watching it uh, for the show, and I was trying to understand uh, Velasco's ultimate intention. Um, I, I couldn't put it all together in time. Maybe you can explain for me, and of course the followers, um, what was his purpose for uh, surrounding the chapel and led to preserve his spirit and to preserve his body? What, what was his purpose doing that? Well, I think uh, just like the gentleman in the beginning, I don't think he says it, but the gentleman that sends them there, I think the idea is to find out whether or not there was life after death. So, because I'm about to die and I want to know what happens. And so Belasco hid all this stuff in there, one, so that he could continue to exist, and two, so he could continue to hide his secrets. He didn't want people to realize he was short, amongst other things. Right. Yeah. So even after death, yeah. he, he didn't want people to realize his height. That was the, the whole thing. Yes. Hmm. Well, I think he was. He was. Well, I think he was obsessed with the hereafter. Um, you know. In that was, time frame, people were. Yeah, and he was obsessed with uh, with things like a certain sense of soul immortality. He was obsessed with, um, as I said, with the here with the hereafter. Um, I, I think that, uh, you know, he, uh, and he allowed his obsession to, uh, you know, to, uh, you know, obsession with finding out, uh, what happens to the soul to corrupt him. And I think in a sense, he embraced that corruption and it kind of, uh, you know, turned him into, uh, you know, a, a, a semblance of a malignance, uh, in a really, and, uh, that's what they're, uh, you know, what they're dealing with. Right. Malignance. And, and he's left, he has left an evil essence, an imprint in that house. Yeah. He is not a nice man. No, no, no. And, and of course, uh, the character's kind of loosely based on Aleister Crowley in yeah. some ways. Also wasn't because, a nice man. No. Yeah. And <laughs> so basically, you know, that's sort of like, hey, this is like, imagine if this was Aleister Crowley's character, Emmerich Velasco, and he does all these horrible things to all these people. And stuff like that. And as Ben Fisher was talking about how during one scene, how his whole entire crew that he was in with originally, how some of them just like died or they jumped out a window just to be crushed and crippled and going insane. So 
that's what kind of Velasco wanted people to think that he was tall, but he actually wasn't. And why wouldn't he just get himself cremated? Just because. Well, maybe because he was a genius and he could just outsmart everybody, huh? As uh, as uh, Roddy McDowell mentioned, you're not a genius. You preserved yourself and created all this to hide your true self. Wicked. Well, yeah, that's just it. If he's cremated, I don't think he, you can. I haven't heard of anyone, any story for the, the person cremates themselves and yet maintains the. Uh, I think it violates the corporeal connection necessary to keep a spirit in place. And that's the whole point. He wanted to keep his, he wanted to keep his spirit there. This was his house. This is where he did all his stuff, and he was going to keep doing his stuff. So he wanted his cake and eat it, too. Yeah. And, and very much so. He wanted his cake and eat it, too. But also, like I said, he didn't want people to find out his weaknesses. Uh, and, you know, we talked about how he was not a nice man, and uh, he worshipped Satan and so forth. And, and while they don't really talk about it in this movie, there's always the potential that he wasn't entirely happy about going to the other side. You know, uh, it's one thing to make a bunch of claims and then it's time to pay the piper. You may not like what, what's waiting for you. So. Besides, I, I think this guy, I think Belasco has this huge ego. Uh, yes. He would, you know, he, he, he fully believes that he is above the, the master of metaphysics and it, above uh, this, you know, idea, uh, idea of, he would look at, cre at cremation as just uh, as something that a, uh, a pathetic person would do, uh, you know, uh, an underling. He's, you know, he, he believes that he can live beyond uh, the mortal coil and he's intending to, you know, to prove that by embracing Satan, by uh, embracing um the metaphysical uh and all of that he you know he's not a guy he, he's a guy that wants to be a god and he's not you know uh he thinks that something that, that is uh that is regarding like something like cremation that's for lesser people and so i, I don't see him uh, uh you know wanting to deal with that uh you know deal with that at all and uh but I wanted to ask you guys, what do you, what do you thought, what did, what did you think of, there's one scene in the film that I think gets derided a little bit, uh, which is uh, Roddy McDowell's possession scene. Um, I've, I've read in some quarters, people are thinking that that's a, a ham job uh, by, uh, by McDowell. I find myself engrossed by it. And I think the performance is really uh, is really good in that sequence. What do you guys think? Well, I love Roddy McDowell and anything and everything he's in. So mm -hmm. uh, I love his work. Uh, Does he go over the top a little bit in the in this sequence, or do you think it's you, spot on? Well, that's to say that first you have to say that, that going over the top is possible in that scene, mm -hmm. and uh, I think maybe it isn't because this is supposed to be, you know, it's a possession scene. Uh, the spirit is going to be out of control. Mm -hmm. 
And I, I think in a lot of ways he, he sort of uh, reveled in the fact that he's getting a second chance at Roddy McDowell. So okay. that, that, that's just my view of it. I thought it fit the narrative um, because up to that point, and this is um, also, I, I would say, a, um, uh, a thumbs up to uh, the filmmakers involved for crafting the script. Um, Roddy McDowell's character was a, uh, a slow developing one. Um, and I didn't even see this, uh, this plot twist until uh, Lionel mentioned it. But this whole time when they were going through all this shit, um, Lionel looks at him and says, this whole time you've been blocking yourself, right? And we're only, we should only get our cut, you shouldn't get yours. Um, that, that right there, that kind of lived me like, whoa, wait a minute. You know, Lionel's been able to see right through all of this and point to the one guy who could make a difference, you know? Um, I thought that was very smart, very smart writing um, because up until then, you didn't know what he was capable of. You didn't know what he was. Doing. I mean, if you're not familiar, I'm. I, I know mediums. You know, they, they, they're. You know, they're in between, between the living and the dead. Um, but if they're not doing anything, how do you know what they're doing, right? It's not like you. you I can sense you are blocking yourself, right? Um, it, it, it takes someone very astute in in the moment to, to notice. I've been around mediums before. You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Um, I thought that was very astute. It was uh, it was on point. Um, you recognizing it's the fourth quarter, and you have a uh, one of your your linemen is just not in the game, and maybe that's why the defense is just coming at you. You know, to use an analogy here, um, you're pointing out to the guy who can be making the difference, and he's not. He need he needs to get in the game, and I thought that was that was very smart. It got me in, um, engaged even further because he's a physicist, he's a scientist, right? He, he's observational and he points out something that maybe the audience up to that point wouldn't have caught at all, you know, if uh, it wasn't pointed out. Um, and then I felt the story shift. Now it's Ryder McDowell's movie. Uh, we're no longer focused on the scientist, although he's still in it. Now we're, we're all looking at Ryder McDowell like, wait, what you been doing this time, this whole time? What are you, what's your potential? What are you capable of? Now, what do you really hear? Did you mention Kevin? And uh, from then on, the movie is now about him. Mm -hmm. There was kind of a shift that goes on. It, it was definitely a shift. It was the minute he says, "You're blocking yourself." Yeah. What happened? He became the no. focus, and then we we have the over the top. It didn't feel over the top because that right after he, he kind of lets it in, and um, it looked pretty real as far as. I don't know possession movies go with the the curled fingers and, and the body contorted that looked pretty authentic right i, I would believe yeah. it um and it's not the first time someone stared into the camera and screamed holy mary i'm glad i had my bedroom door closed That's uh, right it wasn't the first time so it was, it was very much i thought within the confines of the story and, and well, i agree I agree with it because his character, yes, he was blocking everything out so that the entities or whatever that are affecting like Clive LeVere's character, Lionel, and and Pamela Franklin's character, uh, it's not going to affect him. He's blocking it all out so that he 
you know, won't feel like what they're going through. But yes, his scene when he gets possessed, hey, he does a great job on it. And of course, you know, he just like as he had said during one of the scenes was like, hey, just tell the old Deutsch whatever, collect the money, let's get out of here and live happy lives, you know? I think the motivation that he has too is uh, one of the reasons why he's blocking out. One of the reasons, uh, you know, why he is, um, you know, the um, the pessimist going or the the person going in, uh, uh, yeah, who says we shouldn't be here and, and all this this stuff. I'm talking about McDowell's character. Is that he's the only guy who barely survived a previous attempt. So, you know, what's he gonna, you know, gonna do? He's going to put up mental blocks, uh, you know, for himself. He's not wanting to go through that again, because the next time that he goes through that could be the last time, you know, that he, uh, that, you know, that he goes through it. It could bring, you know, could bring death to him. And, you know, I like what Anthony says that it takes Lionel to confront him and saying, if you don't, we're all going to, you know, we're all going to die anyway. You know, you've got to, uh, you know, it's time to face your, uh, you know, to face your demons, to face your, uh, you know, face this monster. And uh, so that's when he, you know, when he opens up and he lets, uh, you know, he lets Belasco in and says, okay, all right, this is it. This is the, you know, the final thing. You want me, you want in, you know, in with me. Let's fuck, you know, that kind of uh, uh, that kind of thing. So, McDowell has a lot of reasons for 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 blocking himself off. And that well, your, the revelation you talked about was really was wonderful. You know, I, I thought it was interesting that uh, very early on in the movie they tried to go into the Satanic Church, and Miss uh, Franklin won't go in, but Rodney McDowell will, and and. <laughs> Mr. Revel says, oh, he must be able to block himself better. I think that was your first clue that, yeah. that he's already figured out that Brian McDowell is holding out on us. Right. So that they set that up very early in the movie. Right. Yeah, no, no. And but it's course, almost so subtle that you yeah, don't... I, I remember that when you mentioned it, Al. I didn't even put it together because yeah. what happens for the next 30 to 45 minutes, we're just assaulted with all these supernatural occurrences, right? We're not even thinking of when they were first walking in the door. Although it it, it, it was clear, right? They took a moment, it's not like they, they blew by it. That was a good point out. But I mean, from then on, as soon as they walk in, it's boom, 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 boom right? So yeah, that, that, that's another another uh, smart move by the right. It's like, look, we told you in the very beginning <laughs> and you didn't realize it, right? And by the way, too, if you, Listen to the message on the old record player. That is, of course, the voice of Michael Gold, the guy who played sure. Albert. Sure. And basically, he, the reason why he gets hardly any credit was because he was hardly in the film, except for, hey, you're, we're going to use your voice when they play the record, and then you're just going to be the 
corpse, uh, you know, as Velasco. Sure. Other than that, you don't have anything to do, you know. Just chill out. Have fun. <laughs> have a pina colada. No, um, but, yeah, and one of my other favorite scenes from this film is when Pamela Franklin's character and Roddy McDowell are having a conversation after she's been attacked numerous times, and she's telling him that she feels like something's in her, like the Velasco's in her. And so he goes and he hugs her and he tells her it's okay. And then all of a sudden, when she looks at him and all of a sudden that male voice comes, like, get your hands off of me, you son of a bitch. That was effective sound design, I thought, throughout the yeah. whole movie. It was very convincing. Um, and yeah, another kudos to the film. They deserve a lot of kudos. And if you can, I, I was very impressed with the uh, the craftsmanship behind this film, and um, I actually want to see more from um, uh, the guys who put it together. Um, if there's any more to be had from uh, from this effort, um, I know John Hugh put together. I'd have to look up to see if he's done anything else. Well, I'll um, tell you, I was just looking that uh, that up, and I want to ask you guys about John uh, John Huff's. Uh, directorial effort here uh because i think it's uh in a way he uh, he lets the characters play while uh while at the same time keeping uh the pace of the film kind of uh economically compact um you know you're not feeling like you're watching a long film but john huff was um previously was a hammer film director and uh, directed uh, the excellent uh, vampire chiller Twins of Evil uh, for Hammer um, that starred Peter Cushing and uh, uh, had the, the, uh, the lovely Collinson twins um, as, uh, as part of the Karnstein uh, trilogy, uh, Vampire Stories. And uh, so he knows how to build suspense. He knows how to build a, uh, a horror scene. He knows how to uh, how to do mood, and I'm wondering what you guys felt about his success with this film, or lack thereof. Oh, I, I think the, the film is awesome. Huh? I, I think I, it's yeah. a, a well crafted piece. I, I love the uh, again, still fairly early on in the movie. The the first morning they're having breakfast, and. There's a, a quick shot of the gentleman eating, and then the camera focuses back. It's practice focused back, and you see we're seeing now the in-focus reflection on the silverware of the young lady coming up to him to eat. And it's little things like that that make a, a nice uh, cinematographic thing to watch. Right. Yeah. There was a oh, lot yeah. of uh, time spent determining um, framing shot angles. Uh, I love the variation. Um, There's a lot of steady cam. There was a there was a, basically a mix of everything, a mix of all sorts of framing. Al, you can point out very close up shots. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of the scene um, where she allows herself to make love to the the spirit. Um, very close up. You can feel it's very very passionate, very intense. Right. Um, there's a couple scenes like that. Then there's other scenes that are wide. You can take in the full breadth of the room. Um, I thought the special effects, now this is before CGI, 
um but the effective use of you know the ghost going in and out of the room the the uh when you know she walks into the room and the bed is full looks like there's at least two people in there she pulls it back there's nothing but a pillow um and the ghost uh flies out of the room um those are all effective those all look like they happen in camera um and i i was watching i'm like i know this is from 1973 so you guys don't have a black wire attached to these chairs and pulling them back. You're just going to remove them in post, right? That wasn't there then. Um, so I'm thinking, uh, how, how the hell do you guys, you know, I know. there's some I pretty know. damn effective uh, techniques used in this um, with the just the opening and the closing of the door. I didn't see anybody there. Well, yeah, how, how uh, do you yeah. do that? That's because you didn't look. That's because you didn't look. If you pay attention to the scene, uh, there's a two by four that's that's pine that's that's why you could see it if they painted it black you really wouldn't have been able to see it but there's a two by four that's uh, part of the opening and closing mechanism that's been screwed into the door that's what that thing i was wondering what that extra piece yeah. of wood for and... yeah that's what that was that was the opening and closing mechanism there oh so i thought that for the first time <laughs> this time i saw it trickery yeah. trickery yeah it is trickery time. And it's exactly how they would have done it back then. It was a quick shot. And in the theater, you didn't notice it. No, I mean, right. it just looks like it's part of the door. I mean, and it's right in front of you, right? Yeah. How are you going to think that the mechanism that they're using open close, making believe it's a ghost, is literally just part of the door and they just painted it black to match it? Genius. It, it, it was. And, you know, and this is the thing, too. And it's like, you know, like all through the atmosphere of this film, as I was mentioning before, when Ann Barrett could like kind of come down because she's, re you know, going like she's not getting any love from her husband because she's looking at the statues all of a sudden making love and stuff like that. And she's like reading a book on some kind of sexual innuendos. So she decides, hey, I'm going to go stroll down and try to see if I can't entice Ben Fisher. Oh, come on. And so when Ben slaps her and she snaps out of it, you just go like, oh, what am I doing here? Oh my God, I can't believe I just almost did something. But yeah, all those movies, and of course, according to Richard Matheson himself, he cut out a lot of the violence that they that that was gonna maybe be in the film, but it's in the book and stuff like that. So it's kind of like ah, it would have been interesting. But yeah, it was 1973, the year of our Lord. Well, that's all I had, guys. What else you got in closing? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, this has always been one of my very favorite haunted house movies. And as uh, a young person, uh, this is the sort of story that made me think more intellectually about ghosts and whether or not there was a scientific background to it and so forth. And uh, made me much more interesting, interested in uh, exploring the possibilities of ghosts and hauntings. Uh, and so it's a wonderful movie. It's a well-crafted movie. It has that beautiful young lady that I adore so much in it. Oh, I loved her so. And uh, she's not acting anymore, sadly. Uh, 
And uh, I think it's just a great overall piece. And I rec- highly recommend it to anyone who wants to see a good, good ghosty story. Well, you know, absolutely. And I, you know, I think that this is one of the things I really like about it. And I, I agree with that. Like, this is my favorite, um, you know, haunted house uh, story. Um, there's a few out there. The Uninvited uh, from 1944 is uh, is another one that I look at highly. But uh, this one works for me uh, because it is almost a chamber piece, an ensemble, um, you know, uh, you know, piece. It, it it really doesn't wouldn't work with a a larger group of actors uh, or a roster of characters. This has to work with just the, uh, the you know, with just the, the four the core characters the four of them in this uh, this house for it to have the creepiness and the dread uh, that it uh, that it has it's almost intimate in a sense in its terror um, so this this really works on that uh, that level and you have you have an amazing cast of actors but no one that's in the film is a star these are all character uh, you know character actors we mentioned about richard burton and uh, elizabeth taylor i'm not sure that that would have worked yeah uh, because you would look at, at liz and dick as you know, that would be in some cases distracting so um i think it works because you have clive revel because you have pamela franklin gail honeycutt and you have roddy mcdowell uh you know for very capable actors who immerse themselves as uh, into their characters. So this is a very recommended, uh, you know, film. I highly recommend it to anybody that uh, wants to look at the ghost story. That's not CGI, the paranormal activity. Um, but oddly enough, by the way, I do also appreciate Poltergeist, which is, uh, you know, probably the height of effects laden, uh, you know, ghost stories. I, I appreciate that, but kind of for a different reason. But, um, but no, this one I highly recommend. And so, oh, yeah, go ahead. Go, go ahead. Jeff. Go ahead. Yeah. The thing, all I want to say is that this is a masterpiece of a film that everyone should watch. And for anyone who's a ghost fan of ghost movies, I should say, this is up there. It's like in the top 10 of, you know, people's favorite ghost movies. And for us, it's one of our favorites. And, you know, the cast is incredible. Uh, You know, even though the biggest name in this cast, as uh, Kevin mentioned, would probably be Roddy McDowell. Probably. But all these people were all talented actors in their own rights. And the direction was fantastic. The effects were brilliantly done. The score of the film is fantastic. The setting, the mood, the cinematography, all excellent. It's one of those movies you cannot miss. Right. Uh, not to interrupt you there, but did anyone see if this is actually a set or is this a house somewhere? This is a it's house. A, the it was a palace in England. Okay. No, yes. The um, well, the exterior. Um, let me 
get to uh, let me get to it because I was there. Because I can't believe the building that as a set. Okay, the exteriors um, were at Whitehurst Park House in East Sussex. Um, so, but I uh, the interiors uh, may have been done on a soundstage. Probably. Hello. Some um, of the soundstage, but not all of them, because like I said, I cannot imagine building that as a set. But someone might have, you never know. Well, it was, it, MGM L Street Studios was used um, for uh, for a lot of it, so quite likely um, the uh, the interiors were done there, but uh, Wyker's Place was the, uh, was the exterior shot. Okay, thank you. I oh. didn't catch that before. So sure. for me, um, I don't know if I told you guys, but I've been um, following uh, uh, a few uh, threads on ABS forums, particularly the uh, 4K Ultra HD forums, finding out what new films are coming out. Um, mostly when I hear of uh, 4K releases, I do now a lot of homework to see what kind of uh, restoration or transfer was done between blu-ray and 4k um the whole process has become fascinating to me. I'm, i've been reading more and more about it and uh, some films that come out as re-releases are actually not very well done um and it it, it it makes me appreciate films that are done the right way from film and i i've taken a liking to films that have everything done in camera. I miss that age. I love CGI. I love Star Wars, Jaws. There are certain things that you just, even though Jaws had the big animatronics, there are still some CGI elements around. Um, a lot of Star Wars with CGI. I love that. Um, but in the case of The Legend of Hell House, I appreciate everything was done in camera because it looks like it was done in camera and it makes it more believable. Um, I like my horror real. <laughs> um, uh, hopefully we can do a, uh, a review about Antlers that just came out because um, yes. watching the behind the scenes, they created that creature. It was done by puppets. It was actually eight feet tall. Um, there was a guy who was sitting in the, in the costume and he only filled up like uh, a third of it. <laughs> um, I appreciate realism now more than ever because of all the fake stuff that is out there, right? Um, the cheap CGI, the cartoony stuff that's not... I like the real stuff. It makes me feel more uh, engaged in the film. It makes me feel real. It makes me care about it more. You know, it, everything that makes, you know, a good film, a good film. Um, so, um, so I guess... Um, I like all of the uh, the effects that were in this because it made the ghost believable. Um, with the door, with the chairs pulling away, with the wind. Um, I know a lot of that was done off camera, but in camera, it was believable. You know, for the 90 minutes, I believe there was a ghost. Excuse me, I believe there was a ghost walking in that room, right? I believe there was a ghost uh, uh, blowing all those stuff away because I didn't see any strings. I didn't, I knew that there wasn't, uh, a computer off to the side that was creating these effects. They were just dropping it in post, you know, the glasses falling down. All that looked really cool and awesome. And if I saw this in theaters, I probably would have gone home believing that there was ghosts. <laughs> That's I'll, I'll how you, it really looked. I'll tell you something, Anthony. I saw The Legend of Hell House at a drive-in. Oh. And yeah, it, it, you know, I wish I had seen it 
theaters, but I was watching it. Couldn't take my eyes off of it, especially when they're doing like the seance in the living room and as you're saying the foam of the ghost and trying to capture it, it, it you know, just blows your mind about how great that looks on film, you know, and stuff like that. It was fantastic. You know, uh, speaking of drive-ins, I think the last time I saw this movie was in a theater that was a converted church out in El Sobrante or something. So I'm sure that none of that is there anymore, but still, uh, I thought that lent something to the movie when I saw it as a young person. Gosh, I can't remember the last time I, you know, I, I think I saw it on, uh, uh, last time I remember, or the first time I remember seeing it was on home video, but um, that, it, it still, I, I didn't matter to me. It still stuck with me. Can we, can we just very quickly, uh, uh, and you know, Anthony, do you mind if I give you a couple of suggestions as far as uh, Haunted House? Uh, I was going to recommend The Haunting in 1999. Did you guys see that? With uh, Liam Neeson and Catherine Zeta-Jones, no, Owen Wilson? I'm, I'm going to recommend to you 1963's version of The Haunting with uh, directed by Robert Wise. Um mm. It's a it's black and white, but it is a it is a genuine you know classic that to me blows away uh, the '99 uh, remake. But it's uh, uh, stars Julie Harris and it's and Russ Tamblin and uh, Richard Johnson, the British actor. But I also recommend uh, there's a movie from 1944 called uh, The Uninvited mm, with yes. Ray, Ray Milland and and Ruth Hussey. And you think that it's going to be one of those genteel family uh, kind of ghost story a la Topper or something from the 40s. This is uh, the first attempt to tell an adult straight horror story, a uh, ghost story. And it, you know, it just, it, it works. It'll knock your socks off. And I also recommend one called from 1988, uh, which is uh, by director Frank Lalagia called Lady in White. Yes. Uh, wonderful uh, film with Lucas Haas uh, uh, and uh, Catherine Helmond, um, uh, you know, in it. So there's some really good ghost stories. Uh, you know, just for somebody who's looking for something that's not paranormal activity or uh, whatever, uh, whatever modern film is out there. Now I'm gonna have to see The Hunting 1963 because yeah. the remake, I acknowledge I saw the remake in 99 and yeah. I thought that was pretty effective. Now I have to see the original. We're gonna have to it, be right back here guys talking about it. Yeah. yeah. It, it, the, the remake of The Hunting was fun. It wasn't you mm. know, as good as the original. No. Trust me, Kevin. <laughs> yeah. You know, but I'd say there's a couple and I agree with Kevin on The Lady in White. Really good movie. Right. Um, it, it surprised me when I saw it. I kind of went like, sure. what the hell is this? And it turned out, you know, you're thinking, oh, it's a ghost movie. Cool. And then, then the other film that I would also mention would be, uh, the, also the others from the 1970s and also wow. remake. 
Oh, so you're talking about Nicole Kidman's? Uh, yeah. Yes. Well, yeah. That's a, yeah. About a random shout out story. to Amazon Prime for having all these classic horror movies ready for rent for ridiculously cheap. That is go. awesome. And, you go, Jeff. Uh, my a... other, my last other decent ghost movie that I think we might all agree or disagree with hmm. would be the lady or the woman in black with Daniel Radcliffe. But no, I haven't seen that movie, but I love the score. I love writing against that score. Wasn't that the uh, the film that was uh, the new the new folks behind Hammer? Uh, yes, were, you know, did that. Yes, Kevin. I have to I have to admit I have not seen that. I have well, not check it out. I'm not saying it's great, but it's better than you know like the ghost movies that with the mm -hmm. CGI heavily yeah. laced. Mm. You know. Yeah. 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 Now, if, if I may give two recommendations, sure. But change the tone of the movies a little bit because these these are movies. Um, while Belasco in tonight's movie definitely had a, 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 a I don't want to say a message, a point. He was going somewhere with this. Um, I, I've always enjoyed ghost stories where there's some unfinished business. And the two that I love about that the most, one I got to do on my show called. The House That Wouldn't Die from 1970. It was a made-for-TV movie. Barbara, Barbara Stanley. Stanley. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. And um, let's see if I can pull up the other one. Ah, yes. A 19... No, wrong one. Here we go. Here we go. Now I want, I want to watch Barbara Stanwyck and Richard Egan. In yeah, the, for you guys, too, when Al finds his. Yeah. Uh, the Awakening from 2011. Oh. Charlton Heston. No. 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 No, oh. 2011. Oh, right, this doesn't okay. really have a That's lot of Sandra Bullock, right? No, offhand, about the only no. actor in it that you're going to recognize in it. Uh, oh, Joseph Molly. Ah, oh, okay. Is in it, and uh, either I can't recognize his picture in uh, the, the setup here, or uh, they're giving him really low credit, which is a shame. Um, but yeah, there's not a whole lot of per people in it you would see that are familiar. But it's a great, it's, it's a love story in its own way. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's a great movie that uh, I like it because right there at the last minute, that's where it all is. That last five minutes. Oh, uh, Anthony. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How about Kevin Bacon and Stir of Echoes? That was yes. good. Yes. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. I love doing a show on that one. I've seen that a few times. That has some creeps. Well, what's great to watch on that one is to watch how unraveled Kevin Bacon gets. Uh, yes. That's just a joy to watch his character rip apart. He usually plays a stoic character. He's usually the guy with the strong moral compass. Um, but don't watch him yeah, because he loses his shit there. Um, but yeah, that one is, um, that gets under your skin a little bit. And as you said, Ali, it has at the end of the movie, there's some unfinished business. Yes. And by the way, here's another good ghost story movie for you. Mm. Ghost story. With, uh, yes, with Fred Astaire, Melvin, John Houseman, Melvin Douglas. John yes. Houseman. Yes. Oh, and also, we can't forget, I'm sorry, uh, one of the other movies that is definitely up there for any ghost horror film. Uh, the Changeling with George C. Scott. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. How did I die? 
<laughs> there's a few out there. Uh, I might also recommend there's one called another one by John Huff, uh, who did a few years later, and they actually did it for the Disney uh, company. Is Watcher in the Woods, uh, yes. which really does work right up until this Disney-esque, and you know, ending. Uh, you know, with the effects-laden ending, but you got Betty Davis, you've got. Uh, Richard Pasco, uh, you got veteran actors, uh, you know, uh, in it, and it has a lot of style and uh, a lot of style, a lot of substance to it. But um, you know, the ones that, I think the ones that we mentioned, Haunting, uh, Uninvited, um, you know, this one, Legend of Hell House, uh, Ghost Story, uh, that Joe mentioned, uh, the others, those are all a tier above the rest. Good movies all. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, we call it a wrap here, guys. Sure. Yep. Wrap, wrap. This was The Legend of Hell House, 1973, uh, starring Pamela Franklin, Roddy McDowell, Clive Revel, and directed by John Hugh Huck. How do you pronounce it? Huck? Huff. 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 Yeah. Like we're Don puffing, puffing, puff house down. <laughs> Written by Richard Matheson. I want to see more of Richard Matheson's films. I haven't seen enough. Oh, awesome. oh uh, no, there we go. Opened up. <laughs> Open up Pandora's box. You'll, you'll be watching a lot of Vincent Price, uh, you know, stuff. And, and the episode. problem with that is what? Along with what? And the problem with that is what? Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no, 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 no problems. A lot of Vinnie Price. <laughs> uh, be busy. <laughs> I just love some... there's a, a, a sort of a legend that they were going to do a Lovecraft series at one point uh, with him as the host. And I cannot imagine anyone else being a better host than Vincent Price for Lovecraft series. Well, yeah, I think Lovecraft, because Price was so connected with, with, with not only that, but also with uh, Edgar Allan Poe. But I, I could imagine like maybe a Christopher Lee doing that too. But, yeah. but Price, I think you hit it. Yeah, I think you hit it. Nobody, nobody really could do that. Yeah. Yeah, but anyway, good film. Good film, good review, a lot of fun. I love retrospectives. I love watching movies that you guys recommend that maybe I probably wouldn't have seen if it was uh, up to me. But uh, yeah, you can keep bringing these awesome titles on. Uh, this is a lot of fun. We are broadening your knowledge, Anthony. Broadening your knowledge. I hey, you guys it. brought my knowledge every time we get together, man. That's oh, true. <laughs> All right, guys. That's right. our show for Joe Flynn, Al Omega, Kevin Nicholson, and myself. Till next time. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.